week we were on prayer, and I wanted to go ahead and jump into uh, talking about the church, the proposed church covenant. Um, so we're going to be here for at least two weeks, perhaps three. I haven't decided how I want to handle the rest of the covenant, but um, I want to just go ahead and get started. I'm kind of anxious to, to deal with this, and so I appreciate um, your grace and patience um, through you know through working this together to try to understand what the church covenant is, uh, what should be in it, and uh, you know if we agree on things and how just how to how to move forward. Let this be a, a way that the church moves forward and um, kind of is binding and kind of a as a governing document. Um, so before I kind of jump into this, let, let's go ahead and return to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we uh, come before you because of our great need and because of your great grace. Uh, Lord, that you've um, demonstrated to all the world through the sacrifice of your son, uh, that he lived the perfect life, that he um, was nothing but love um, to those who were in needy. Um, Lord, and his disdain was only for those who were self-righteous, hypocritical, and judgmental towards others because um, they thought they were better than others, Lord, in the, in the face of the Pharisees. And Lord, his, his kindness, his gentleness, his meekness, um, is what draws us to you, and it is through him that we have access to you to be um, our life giver, to bring joy, to um, enable us to love others as you have loved us. And so, Father, as we embark on this journey of discussing the uh, proposed covenant, Lord, I ask that you would give me um, grace to, to lead, uh, Lord, um, that I would lead with humility, um, and that, uh, that I would lead us on a, on a true path based upon your word and not just man's ideas. Father, I pray that uh, it would be honoring to you. I pray that you would use it to unite us um, and bring about um, a greater um, vision for the future and um, a greater effective ministry for the future as well. Lord, we ask that you would do all these things um, for your glory and for the good of your church. Amen. So I want to begin just with, with even the idea of, of covenant. Um, for those who've been here uh, for the past four and a half, almost five years, um, I think the first series I did here was on covenants of the Bible, and we went through the major covenants of the Bible. So God has um, developed his relationship with humanity through what he calls covenants. And a covenant um, is, is basically an agreement between two parties, and it's more than a contract because a contract often says, you provide this good or service and I will do this. A covenant has agreements in it, but the thrust, the, the main point of a covenant is actually relational. It's not based on goods and services. Um, it is, um, it, it's, a, it's a contract essentially that, that prizes relationship over the goods and services. So God, throughout the Bible, he had a covenant with um, with Abraham, with, with Noah, uh, with the people of Israel, with, with David, um, and then Christ, through his blood, establishes a new covenant by which we um, are ushered in as Gentiles into his presence and have forgiveness. Um, I've been given the, pr the promised spirit, um, and he promises to grant us eternal life um, through his, his power. So I kind of say that the covenants of the Bible are, are the pillars of the Bible by, by which we understand and can view the Bible as a whole narrative. Um, but there's also covenants between people. And the most common covenant, although it has kind of lost this meaning and significance in our culture, is marriage. Marriage is a covenant. Um, it's been made to be more of a contract and just an agreement 
But a marriage is two parties coming together um, consensually to agree to live one, love one another, to live with each other, to prize each other, to cherish one another. And all of those things are relationship-oriented, right? I mean, not very many people, if anybody, goes to the altar and says, you know, I promise to do the dishes if you promise to take out the trash. That's a pretty weak marriage, okay? I mean, if that's what your marriage is based on, that's pretty weak, all right? But when you have a covenant that involves, I promise to cherish you, to love you, to honor you in sickness and in health, um, whether we're rich, whether we're poor, whether we're young, whether we're old, then doing the tra- or doing the dishes and taking out the trash should kind of work themselves out because it is about love, it is about honor, it's about service. And so a covenant is greater than just a business contract. It is valuing the individual and the relationship over anything else. And so having that mindset, um, the church, I believe, is a covenant of individuals who have professed belief in Jesus Christ and are in somewhat agreement on how we live together and who God is and how we function together. So covenant membership, I, I kind of explored a little bit how other churches do this. And one of... Um, Definition of covenant membership that I liked says covenant membership communicates active participation, intentionality, and mutual commitment within the context of a sacred relationship between God and all those who choose it. So covenant membership is us coming together in agreement where we pledge our participation, our intentional mutual commitment to where we can live together and accomplish what we believe God is calling us to do as God's people in this particular location. So, essentially, it answers the question, what does it mean to be a member of First Baptist Church Glasgow, right? I mean, in today's world, you know, like, I can point to, okay, I know, what it, I know what it means to be a member of the Lions Club. I know what it means to be a member of a, uh, you know, Netflix Subscriber. I know what it means to be a member of all these other things, but what does it mean to be a member of a church? Well, the covenant describes, kind of flushes out what it means to be a member of the church. It's not just a uh, social statement. It's not just, you know, I get special privileges with God because I'm a member of a church. It's not a sign of my virtue or moral superiority or I'm a better person because I'm a member of a church and you're not a member of a church. Being a member of First Baptist Church Glasgow will be defined and explored through the covenant. So the church is both an, an organism and an institution, right? The organism is kind of, it's living, it's active, it's made up of people, it has a life of its own, but then there's an institution part where we have to function a certain way, right? We have to have rules, we have to agree on this is how we do this, that's how we do this, this is who's responsible for this over here. Um, I remember uh, whenever we were putting up the tree, uh, I think it was Tristan came to me and, and asked me, well, where are the rest of the hooks? And I was like, well, buddy, I don't know. And he's like, well, don't you own the place? <laughs> it's like, who owned, who is in charge? Who knows where the rest of the hooks are for the ornaments? <laughs> it was awesome, I don't care about that, it was so funny. <laughs> You know, everybody owned, like, everything is owned by somebody, right? Um, so the Constitution kind of governs who's in charge of what and how the church is to function as an institution. But the covenant kind of defines how we relate to one another, what we will believe about our personal relationship with God, and how we relate to the people who are outside of 
our local, of our, of our body, all right? The, the actual church, the members. So um, that is kind of how I'm presenting covenant as opposed to, to other um, options and how it differs from the actual constitution. The constitution is a whole other um, issue that we will deal with when we need to. But I think we need to start with the covenant because the reason we're here is because of relationships, right? That, that's the crux of, um, of, of what we are about. We're about relationships. So the institution aspect we will deal with at a future date. Um, so the assumption, there's an assumption behind a covenant, okay? And there's, there's an assumption behind this covenant, and it's that we are in this world to worship God. Uh, Jeremiah Gordon, when he uh, filled in for me one time and I was not able to be here, um, I was told that he came up here and he solved all the world's problems by saying, everyone wants to know why we're in the world. We're in the world to bring glory for God, right? Case closed, that's the end of the story. Okay, what we don't often realize is that you bring glory to God through worship. Okay, that is how you glorify God. You are worshiping him. And so the covenant spells out how we are to worship God through having a personal relationship with God, all right? We are saved by grace through faith, so we relate to God in a certain way. Um, the covenant spells out how we worship God um, through participation in the activities of the church, in relationships within the church, in relationships with those who are outside of the church. Essentially, the, the church covenant is, it's almost like a DTR. It's like defining the relationship that we have towards God, towards each other, and towards those outside of the church. So if it sounds kind of strange to talk about worshiping God in these ways through relating to each other and activities we're a part of and how we relate to people outside the church, um, you know, I, I can understand. It's, it's hard in our culture. Most people don't realize what worship is, right? Worship is not just singing songs on Sunday. It's not just listening to worship music in your in your car when you go to work or go to the store. Okay, so I plan to deal more with the topic of worship um, in our next Sunday school curriculum. So that, that's coming down the road. Um, so having said that, let me read to you the first paragraph. And uh, if you'll remember, those of you, I think most everyone was here. We, we had a meeting um, before Christmas where we kind of dealt with some um, amendments and how we wanted to... The, Covenant to look, and so this will represent those changes that were made. And this is just the first paragraph. As we've been led by the Spirit of God to repent of all of our sin and profess our belief in the gospel of our Lord Jesus, um, excuse me, I already messed it up. <laughs> so I'm just going to start over. <laughs> As we have been led by the Spirit of God to repent of all our sin and profess our belief in the gospel of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, we commit our full and faithful participation to the local gathering of Christ's body at First Baptist Church of Glasgow, Missouri. As part of this commitment, we willingly enter into this covenant with our fellow believers, striving together through the power of the Holy Spirit as we worship God through the following endeavors. So the following endeavors will be kind of a uh, exploration and, and defining what is meant through some of those words. But I wanted to take our, or to begin our series with just going through that first paragraph and showing how it reflects the Bible, right? 
Um, I don't want this just to be, I mean, it is a man-made document, but I want it to be based upon um, the scriptures. So I will pause and say that our final covenant at the end of each paragraph will have, and as in footnotes, passages of scripture that you'll be able to go to and look up and kind of see um, how it all, all ties together. So first, <clears throat> the first line, as we've been led by the Spirit of God to repent of all of our sin and profess our belief in the gospel of our Lord Jesus Savior Christ, or our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Now the most obvious passage of scripture that, that, refl- that is reflected by that statement is John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And continuing on, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe in him is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. So first and foremost, we elevate and we exalt and lift up Christ as the only name by which humans are saved. Right? We are saved because of Jesus Christ. We repent of our sin we believe and we profess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And that is the only way to experience the salvation of God that culminates in the eternal life. So it's important to notice who this Jesus is, right? Because people can memorize verse 16, but verse 17 and verse 18 kind of fall by the wayside sometimes. You see, it says, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. When God sent his son as a baby in a manger who lived a perfect life and suffered and died and was buried and raised again, God didn't do that to condemn the world. That was his key moment of salvation, to provide salvation for all people, all right, so that we are saved through Jesus. All right, in verse 18, it says, whoever believes in him is not condemned. Meaning if you believe in Jesus Christ, God looks at you and says, not guilty. You are not condemned before him. But... Whoever does not believe in him is condemned already. What do you mean already? Meaning they are condemned because they have not believed in Jesus Christ. All right? And it's already because it's like it's, it's, it's one big picture to God. All right? If you do not believe, you are condemned. So the church is putting forth Christ as the only way of salvation. So going on from that, What is it that man is supposed to do to be saved? Jesus preached in Matthew 10, 17. From that time, he began to preach saying, I'm sorry, I think that's actually Matthew 4, 17. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus' words to the masses was repent. What does it mean to repent? It means to turn away, right? It's actually a militaristic term. You're marching one way and you turn around and march the other way. So the natural person is someone who is walking towards sin. They're going their own way. They're doing whatever they want. They have no care for God's way. And they repent. They turn around and walk towards God. So it is a returning to God. And it's not just in actions. It's actually in your mind. So repenting is actually an issue of the heart. Has your heart turned from sin? Or are you still prizing sin in your heart? Are you still prizing your own Glory in your heart, the praise of man in your heart, getting things, living for yourself, or is your heart, your affections turned towards God? So it's not just a repentance of, I'm going to change my actions. It's actually a whole person turning 
from sin and the ways of the world to God. In Acts chapter 4, verse 12, it says, And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. So we see here that we are elevating Christ as Savior, as Lord, and there is only Him that you are saved through. And that is a key point um, for, for us as a church, and we wanted to highlight that in the, in the covenant. So that's kind of, kind of you know, church, right? Sunday School 101. Like, I haven't really said anything thus far that has really kind of blown your mind or is really, um, you know, something that you learned beyond fifth grade uh, Sunday School class. So I'm going to spend a little bit extra time here on the first phrase, as we have been led by the Spirit of God. That is vitally important. It is a theologically packed statement, meaning this statement says a lot about who we believe God is and how he acts towards us. So let me read for you a scene in Jesus' life that is found in John chapter 3 with Nicodemus. Now, he's a Pharisee. So we're going through the book of Matthew, and when it comes up, this person's a Pharisee, that generally means a couple things. Number one, they're self-righteous, they're judgmental, and they're probably a hypocrite. Okay, they probably think they're better than everybody else. Okay, they know God's law frontwards and backwards. They have more scripture memorized than you probably read in a year. All right, these guys knew their stuff. Okay, and Nicodemus was one of them. Okay, so Nicodemus, a Pharisee, and it calls him a ruler of the Jews, meaning he was high up. He was probably not just a Pharisee, but he probably was economically wealthy. So it says, this man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, meaning teacher, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no man can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. So Nicodemus has heard about the miracles of Jesus. And his conclusion, there's no way that he could do these things unless he was sent by God. So you remember uh, some of the Pharisees would say, well, you cast out the devil through the devil. And Nicodemus is like, okay, that doesn't even make sense, right? Like, this guy is from God. He's a prophet from God. So he comes to Jesus, and he says, um, and he, and he, he claims that. He's like, okay, I'm acknowledging that you are at least a, a prophet from God. And then this is how Jesus responds to him. Truly, truly, I say to you, meaning, look, I'm telling you the truth. Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Okay. So Nicodemus hasn't began to talk about the kingdom of God, but... Jesus knows where he's going. He knows his heart. And so Nicodemus responds and he says, how can a man be born when he's old? Nicodemus is old, right? Nicodemus wants to be found in the kingdom of God. Nicodemus wants to be called righteous by God, okay? And you're telling me I've got to be born again to be in the kingdom of God. How can I do that when I'm already old, right? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, I tell you the truth. Unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh. That which is born of spirit is spirit. Now do, do not marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. For the wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but do not know where it comes or where it goes. And so it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. What is the point I'm trying to pull from this? 
You have to be born of the Spirit. And the only way to be born again is through the leading of the Spirit. Jesus compares the Spirit, right? He says, that which is born of flesh is flesh, that which is born of spirit is spirit. So he's, he's kind of separating out. Yes, you've been born, Nicodemus, through the womb of a woman. But have you been born by the Spirit? In order to be in the kingdom of God, you have to be born of the Spirit. The Spirit has to be alive in you. And so he says, how, like, how does that happen? The, the wind blows where it wishes, and so does the Spirit of God. You don't know where it comes from or where it goes, but you can see the effects. A person who repents of their sin and believes and professes in Jesus Christ, if that is a true profession, when we talk about a true profession, it actually represents something that has gone on internally in their heart and who they are, that is the result of the Spirit of God working in them. We see this again in John chapter 6, and I'm just going to take some selected verses, verse uh, 44, 63, and 65. No one can come to the. No one can come to me. This is Jesus speaking. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. So Jesus claims, "I've been sent by the Father, and no one comes to me unless drawn by the Father, and I will raise him up on the last day." So this isn't just a normal coming. Like a lot of people came to Jesus. This is a particular kind of coming to Jesus that results in Jesus raising them on the last day. Meaning, this is a coming to Him for salvation. No one comes to Jesus for salvation unless the Father has drawn them to Jesus. All right. Then he says this in verse 63. It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The flesh is born of flesh. The Spirit is born of spirit. The Spirit gives life. The flesh is no help at all. When it comes to spirituality, when it comes to your relationship with Christ, your flesh is no help to you at all. Being human, being in the flesh, being born of a woman does not help you in coming to know God. It has to be the result of the Spirit. It is the Spirit who gives spiritual life to those who have it. And, there, and then he says, the words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. And then he said, this is why I told you no one can come to, the, to me unless it is granted to him by the Father. All right, what all this means is that if you are a true Christian, it is not something you did yourself. It's not a mere decision that you performed. It's not something that you came up with on your own. If you are a true Christian, you were led by the Spirit of God to repent and believe. God brought you to a point where you made a decision to turn from your sin and to trust in Jesus as your Savior. The Spirit of God has done something to you. You've been led down a road by the Spirit of God to get to the point of salvation. And not only that, what does Jesus say? He says, I will raise them up on the last day. Your salvation is not complete until the end, when Jesus raises you up and you are alive eternally with him. That is called glorification. So this statement, the statement of, um, as we've been led by the Spirit of God, that is, is a statement acknowledging that our salvation, my salvation and your salvation, is not of us, right? It is not something that we did to ourselves, but something that God has led us to do. It's an acknowledgement for all of us that my salvation is not my own. It's not something I did. It's not something I brought up, 
right? It is something that I followed through Christ's leading, the Spirit of God leading me to do this. He brought me to salvation. So what does this mean for us? It actually has a lot of implications on how we treat one another and how we live together as a church body. Right? First, it means that we enter into this covenant based upon his salvation that he's led us into. Right? If there is no salvation, there's no repentance, if there's no confession of sin, if there's no belief in Christ, then there is no entrance into the covenant. You cannot be a member of the church without those things. Because the church is for those who have been saved. The church is for those who have been led by the Spirit of God to believe in Christ, to profess His name, and to repent of sin. Without that, there's no entrance into the, into the, um, into the church membership. It also means that we enter into this covenant with humility. Because, because my salvation, which brings me into this church, is not something that I did. It's something that was given to me. Right? Right? Salvation is a gift of God. All right? It is not something that I've done myself. So there is humility in the church amongst ourselves as we embark upon this journey. Right? Only those who've been so led by God into salvation may enter into this covenant. Or said another way, this is a covenant made exclusively between people who have been led by God into salvation. I'm going to say that again. This is a covenant all right, made exclusively between people who have been led by God into salvation. That's why it is so important that people don't just say, yeah, I want to be a member, and then there's no follow-through. Right? I have to take seriously that church membership is the result of someone coming to faith in Christ, experiencing the salvation, following the Spirit of God's leading to bring them into salvation. And that has certain effects on someone's life. It changes who you are. It means you care more about the things of God than the things of the world. It means that you are changing your life to line up with how God wants you to live rather than how the world says it's okay if you do this and that. There are several more passages that we could go to that that talk about this, and I'll just um, give you a couple of them. So in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, Paul writes, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who's blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he's blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for us, excuse me, as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. Our salvation is part of a bigger picture. It's a bigger picture to glorify Christ above all things. So, This covenant is not saying it's all about us. This covenant is trying to say we are here because of Christ. We honor him. We exalt him. And that has implications on how we live with one another. And that's the covenant that we will recover uh, over the next couple weeks. So the next statement is a little bit more lengthy, but we're going to tackle it kind of all as one here. 
we commit our full and faithful participation to the local gathering of Christ's body at First Baptist Church Glasgow. As part of this commitment, we willingly enter into this covenant with our fellow believers, striving together through the power of the Holy Spirit as we worship God through the following endeavors. So the rest of the covenant is kind of a a working out or detailed explanation of this paragraph. But I want to give you a passage of scripture that kind of talks about the church doing things together. Okay. And Acts, after the church has been established, the Pentecost had come as uh, the Holy Spirit had been given to the believers and they had dedicated themselves to the teaching of the apostles. It says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. This is the Lord added to the number. Again, <laughs> salvation is the work of the Spirit. He adds people to our number because he is the one who saves and brings them in. But as you can see there, you can see the people who are Christians, who experience salvation, they gather together. It says they have all things in common. They broke bread together. It means they ate together. They prayed together. They, had, they submitted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They took care of one or another, selling possessions to help another person who was in need. They broke bread in their homes. They received food with glad and generous hearts. So you can see the togetherness of the church there. Okay? As I close, I want to bring our attention to one last phrase. And I mean, I, I could have spent, honestly, two, two messages on, on each one of these paragraphs, but I'm going to try to do it in one sermon. <laughs> but this last, this last paragraph, or this last paragraph has, has a key phrase in here um, that was added that I thought is uh, very insightful. It says, through the power of the Holy Spirit. See, the covenant has a lot of standards. One of the things that we're going to commit to these things, and how do we accomplish that? We don't accomplish that because we're great Christians, because we've arrived and we're good Christians. We are um, mature believers. There's no problems. We have everything together. No, actually, the way we accomplish this covenant, the way we fulfill our commitment to the covenant that represents our commitment to the church is through the power of the Holy Spirit. So let me give you just three passages of Scripture that support that. In Philippians 2, verse 13 and 14, I come back to this passage many, many times because it's been so helpful to me as I think about my responsibility and how I am to live my life in light of the salvation God has given me. This is Paul writing to the church in Philippians. Therefore, my beloved, as you've always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence. So Paul was with them, and he saw their obedience, and he... He's away from them now. He's writing a letter. And he's like, look, I've heard that you are continuing to obey the Lord. Even more so now that I'm gone than when I was with you. He was praising them. That's a wonderful thing. I mean, what parent can say that about a child? When I'm gone, you obey me more than whenever I was with you. And that doesn't happen. The people of Philippian, of the church at Philippi, 
were obeying the word of the Lord, even as Paul was gone. And he says this, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So your obedience, that's you working out your salvation. That is you living out your salvation. That's you growing up into your salvation. That's you being the people God's called you to be. How does that happen? All right, as you work out your salvation with fear and trembling, know that it is God who works in you. Your obedience doesn't just come from you. There's a beautiful hymn, um, All I Have is Christ, and the last verse says, The strength to follow your commands could never come from me. Our obedience isn't us pulling ourselves up by our bootstraps. Our obedience is a submission to the Spirit. It's continuing to be led by the Spirit of God and following Him. All right? It says, It is God that works in you both to will and to work for His good pleasure, meaning that the Holy Spirit of God is molding and crafting you to will and to work, meaning to want to obey and then giving you the ability to obey. So your obedience is the result of God's work on you, the transformation that comes from salvation. And it is a a process that we all go through called sanctification, being made holy. Verse uh, Chapter 3, verse 3 of Galatians, Paul is dealing with a huge issue, but we're just going to take a snapshot here. He says, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Meaning, you've experienced salvation by the leading of God's Spirit on you. By faith, you've entered into salvation. That was the result of the Spirit's work in your life. So now... How are you perfected? Meaning, how are you made a complete Christian? Are you made a complete Christian by living in the flesh? Meaning, not just in the flesh, it's like your animalistic desires, but by trying to do it yourself. How does that make sense? You entered into salvation by grace through faith, and that was the power of the Holy Spirit drawing you into salvation. And if it's began through being drawn and led by the Spirit, then it also continues by you following the leading of the Spirit. That just makes sense. So your ability to obey and grow as a Christian is through the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. And then Romans 8, 14, he says, If you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Meaning, if you live by your own power, by your own control, okay, by trying to do it yourself, you're not going to make it. You are going to die. God has designed salvation. So not only is you entering into salvation through faith and a reliance upon him, a casting yourself upon the mercy and grace of God, but you also continue to live through the same means. Right? The putting to death the deeds of the body, that is putting to death the sin in your life, the, the desire for control, the um, unholy actions that you do, whether it be with your tongue saying things that you shouldn't say, whether it's your eyes looking at things you shouldn't look at, whether it's your ears hearing things that are dishonoring to God, whether it's your hands doing things with your hands that are sinful. You put those things to death by the Spirit, then you live. 
Meaning, you grow and you conquer sin in your life by the power of the Spirit, not by your own will. So having said all of that, we see in this in this paragraph, again, that was like a quick, that was like the Reader's Digest version of what I kind of wanted to do. But I didn't want to linger too long. We can see that salvation begins and ends with God. That you coming to faith in Jesus Christ was a result of God's work on your life and your commitment to the church is a result of that salvation. Right? It's uniting together to be a part of the body of Christ on a covenant level. Not just saying, okay, I'm going to give my dues and then I get these things. As long as I pay my tithe, then I get to eat of the bread and I get to fellowship with the church. Or as long as I serve, then I grow in my status in the church. No, it's not like that at all. It's that we are each coming here because we love Jesus. We've been saved by, uh, by grace through faith. We want to live together to promote one another, to encourage one another, so that we grow together in Christ. And so the rest of the covenant spells out how we agree to do that. Okay? And we accomplish all of that, not because we're great Christians, not because we're really mature. No, we accomplish all that through the grace that God has provided and the power, the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives as we continue to rely upon him, as we continue to have faith. Okay? So I, I hope all that makes sense. Next week we'll continue on with the covenant, and I hope it brings to light uh, some of the things that were said. And yes, we will be doing questions at some point. I haven't decided how I want to do that exactly, um, but we, I will give you opportunities to, to kind of interact with that. So having said that, let's go ahead and, and pray.